KP, KPC, News, Information, Culture, KPCC, California Sensibility. Hey guys, it's Rebecca and Amy. And well, the unbelievable has happened. Donald Trump is going to be the next president of the United States. And we are here now because we really needed to connect. We know you are in pain because we are too. This election result is an assault on our bodies as women, on our families as immigrants, on our identities of people of faith and people of color, on our livelihoods as entrepreneurs and members of the press. Donald Trump is an assault on everything we believe at the Mashup Americans. Our president-elect is an assault on our humanity. We have asked ourselves the worst questions in the past week. How do we stay optimistic about America? Has the American experiment failed? How do we move forward as mashups? Is our entire premise, our optimism about our country, our entire belief system wrong? Can the mashup Americans exist if we have no hope? The answer is no. But luckily, it does exist because we do have hope. There has always been a fight to fight. We, all of us, all of you, our whole community, we are the future of this country. We are its noisy, vibrant, challenging, richly multidimensional, multiracial, multicultural beating heart. We see now we have to fight harder for it, for inclusion, generosity, kindness, and equality. And we will fight with every confidence that we are on the right side of history. Racism, misogyny, xenophobia, and tyranny are showing their claws. We're not running from this complicated, flawed place that we love. We are here to make it better. We are standing with all of you, and we will do our best to protect you and your values. We know that you'll stand with us, too. We have hope at Mashup HQ because we have you. So we recorded this episode before the election. It is, as always, a celebration of Mashup America and the beautiful, joyful diversity of this country. We hope that it will lift your spirits and give you some strength and laughter as we face the work ahead. We believe in you, Mashups, and we love you. Stay safe. And remember, we are stronger together. Hey, I'm Amy Choi. And I'm Rebecca Lair, and we are the Mashup Americans. And it's our birthday today. Estas son las mañanitas que cantaba Rey David. It's a Latin birthday song. I love when you sing for us. Yeah. I can't believe it's been a year since we launched the podcast. Crazy, guys. Well, we so we have some fun things in store for you this episode. We're just really so excited to be celebrating our podcast birthday with our mashup family. You mm-hmm. guys, you have been so incredible about sharing your stories with us and your truths. And, and we just, we really feel hashtag blessed um, and mm-hmm. so lucky to share this kind of this space and this conversation with you, which is sort of the antithesis of what's been happening throughout this election. Our guest this episode, the legendary design thinker John Maida, a Japanese-American mashup, actually put it perfectly. The hope is what fuels you. And because you're different, you naturally believe that maybe something could happen that hasn't happened yet. In that mirage illusion, 
entrepreneurs succeed. John is the best. Oh, my God. And mm. we will have so much more from him later. But, um, yeah, I just we're so beyond lucky. We started this podcast with the idea that our voices as mashups, as immigrants, as Latinas and Jews and Asians, as women, are like had never been on the radio before. Voices <laughs> were... <laughs> And are important. They're relevant. And the stories of our community are just like amazing and powerful and hilarious and so worthy. We are worthy. <laughs> we I was are worthy. Wayne's world. <laughs> <laughs> that just dated us. I know. Oh, we God. can't talk about Wayne's world. <laughs> but, you know, we don't always like to gloat. But, you know, we were so right. We were right. hey <laughs> This podcast is dope, and our listeners are dope, and our lives are dope, and we do dope shit. To quote we do dope da- shit. Dave Chappelle quoting Kanye West. <laughs> Which is really the motto for our lives, guys. Yes. If you hadn't known that before, yeah. our lives are dope and we do dope shit. Yes. So we're going to share what some of you, our dope listeners, have to say about the show. We have these little love letters sprinkled throughout the episode, and we have a couple right here for you right now. I'm Winty Singh, and I'm a Sikh American mashup. I was born in India, raised in Canada, and now live in L.A. The mashup Americans always reminds me about our common experiences. I'm Sheree Roach, and I'm a Jamaican-American mashup. The podcast that hits home the most for me is American Dream Tax because it reinforces the idea that with hard work and dedication, anything is possible. I'm Christina. I'm a queer Puerto Rican-American Latina mashup. It's been so amazing to hear voices like my own represented in the podcast space, and I'm so grateful for it. Happy birthday, ladies. I love these. I'm feeling a little emotional about this whole birthday, I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, really, we're both pretty really emotional something. people. A lot <laughs> <Right>. of emotions. <laughs> uh, but we we did promise you fun, too. And so we'll include some blooper reels. Um, apparently, these mics are live all the time. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, I mean, has that red glowing thing ever really stopped you from saying anything? Nope. <laughs> nope. As we can see here. Intro, intro, here we go. <sighs> okay. Three, two, hi. <laughs> I gotta start again. I'm so into you. you. I'm so into you. Know what I'm, I'm gonna, gonna do. do. Don't know what to do. Okay. Ready, 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 ready. Okay. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> okay, stop. Pause. Let's do it. Okay. Ready? Mm-hmm. I am so awake. Hello, Dolly. California love. Do, 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 do. We can play um, Joni Mitchell. California, California, I'm coming home. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you. And me. That's salt Let's and pepper. About, oh, what was the color be- bad one? That's I wanna I sex, wanna sex you, up. you up. TikTok, you don't stop, stop. all night. <laughs> mm. Makes me feel so right. For some reason, I yelled, "Who, who is in here?" While I was <laughs> falling. <laughs> I can't stop. <sighs> I mean, I don't even know what to say. That was amazing. 
Well, we do have a lot of fun here. And we have on the show today John Maida, who is an artist, the former head of MIT Media Lab, venture capitalist, head of design and inclusion at Automatic, which basically runs every website you ever use, FYI, (laughs) Um, and a global design thinker. He's also a Japanese-American mashup, third generation on his mom's side and first generation on his dad's. Um, We talked to him about how really how we think and see ourselves in the world around us and essentially how we how the world designs for us and how we design our own American experience and you know like the stage on which we all live out our lives. Oh, he is so amazing. On to John. So John Maida, how do you mesh up? I mesh up in terms of fields like design, engineering, business, education, startups, that way. I also mesh up culturally, Japanese, American, Spanish-speaking. I did my 23andMe test, and I'm 20% Korean, so I'm a variety of things. We're, we're basically cousins. Totally. <laughs> Fist bump. Fist bump. <laughs> How many languages do you speak? Three. Yeah. Which are? Uh, Japanese, Spanish, and English. How well do you speak them? I speak English very well, or very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Spanish, you know, took Spanish. Uh, Japanese, I lived there for six years, but now I've forgotten a lot of it, so. Did you grow up speaking Japanese? No. I, I, I tell people I grew up listening to Japanese mm-hmm. because my father could only speak Japanese. We had a lot of my parents speaking to me in Korean, me responding in English in my house growing up. People have a hard time understanding that my father could speak Japanese to me, but they would ask me, why didn't I speak back to him in Japanese? Because you don't speak back to your father. You just do what he tells you to do. <laughs> so true. <laughs> Can you tell us your mashup origin story? So what is your family's coming to America mashup? story? Well, I don't really... Uh, I, I got to say that I I grew up in a very... Asian-ish household, and, but because my mom was so American, third generation, mm-hmm. um, it was like a mixture of someone who was truly American in that multi-generational way and someone who was, who was from Japan, living in kind of this ancient way. Mm-hmm. And um, because he left Japan in the 50s, he remembered Japan in a certain way. And the problem with immigrants, I say problem because it's like a delusional, right. is the moment they've left their country, they think it's the best place ever. Right. And they keep telling their kids, oh my gosh, well, in my country, it was whatever. Generally speaking, some people leave terrible countries, some ter- terrible situations in countries. So it was more about like years later, just becoming an adult and getting become an older adult was, huh, oh, I didn't know I was Asian. Interesting. Because I knew I was Asian before, and then I forgot because I was so busy uh, doing things, making things happen. Mm -hmm. And I never paused to ask myself, am I Asian? Right. (laughs) I'm just doing things. Was there a specific trigger? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I I had the fortune and misfortune of falling while running. I tripped while I was jogging in Palo Alto. And at like at 5 a.m., I, I tripped and I broke my my arm and my my face, and it was um, oh my god, it was really hard. Uh, but I remember like ending up in the ER, et cetera, and like just getting up. And the uh, the doctor asked me, well, he said, "You look really bad, but can you move your neck?" And I said, "Yeah." 
And he said, that's good. I said, yeah, that's awesome. You know, I hit my head. and I uh-huh. could have like, you know. Right. And then a half hour later, a nurse came in and said, you look pretty bad. You were out running in the, in, in the dark? You could have been hit by a car. And I was like, yeah, I could have been hit by a car. So it was that moment of like, it's a wonderful life. I'm like, <laughs> I've been given another chance. And that's where I had the realization that by being a, an Asian person, people would always say like, oh, you're an Asian American leader. I'm like, I'm just a regular leader. Mm-hmm. I don't think about myself being Asian American. I began wondering what that meant. Mm-hmm. That's when my journey began. That's how I found your stuff. I was like, whoa, like, what is this state of being, of being across? That's how it started. Wow. Do you think prior to that moment, when people called you an Asian-American leader or when the outside identified you as Asian when you didn't necessarily think of yourself that way, did you chafe at the label? What was your response to hearing that? Oh, well, I was lucky to be such a minority that that didn't matter. That right. <laughs> no one was like, oh, I don't really care about your minority. And <laughs> right. You look a little bit different, but I think you're one of us. You talk like us. So I, I, I've never, I never had that feeling. Mm-hmm. I had people who had come to me along the way saying, oh, you have to, you're an Asian person. You should be more Asian issues oriented. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't really care about that. I'm just focused on the world at large. Right. I read a piece that you wrote. You said, I've been bothered knowing that my desire to just stay focused on fitting in, in quotes, has conditioned me to ignore a lot of my responsibilities as an Asian American leader. I've kept quiet while the younger generation has done remarkable service to highlight matters that haven't bothered me because I've just desired to fit in that are really too hard to ignore. Absolutely. That's actually, I wrote that right after I broke my arm. (laughs) With one hand, I was typing. (laughs) You know, uh, no, I I was watching people like uh, Tracy, Tracy Chow, and Mm -hmm. uh, who was formerly from Pinterest, and just seeing her actively speaking on behalf of Asian American women Mm -hmm. in particular in engineering. And, and I, I, I saw her as fearless uh, and just going all over the place talking about this as an issue. And I thought, wow, I never, I never make a thing about things I've seen in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I should. Mm-hmm. So in that post, I pointed out how I don't like it when people ask me where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And if you look on YouTube, there's like a great video where it's been viewed like 7 million times. And I think, oh, this is a very common problem. Where are you from? And you always say, well, I say I'm from Seattle. And the people really have a hard time with that answer. They want to know, where are you, where are you really from? And I said, I'm from Seattle, Washington. Washington's <laughs> in, in, in the U.S. Oh, God. And you speak English really well. And I'm like, yeah, you do too. <laughs> um, and so those things I thought were common, but I didn't know how common they were. Mm-hmm. I also began seeing things like uh, uh, that TV series by uh, with uh, Aziz Ansari. Mm-hmm. And Master of None. Master of None. I was like, wow, this is a really great TV show. I don't see TV shows like this. And when you notice that it's because very few people who are not white males mm-hmm. get to make these shows. Mm-hmm. And you're like, huh, well, this is interesting. And it was it was that moment where I'm not sure if you've seen the, um, the movie Ratatouille, mm-hmm. where the moment where the critic is drinking the soup. And, and he, the flashes suit, he flashes backwards into his life as a child. And they're like, oh, wow, everything makes much more sense now. I have to do something about this. So I began to speak up and connect, mm-hmm. learn, and maybe conspire a little bit. Yeah, consider me a co-conspirator. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm an ally here. And when I saw you guys' work, I was like, wow, this is such important work. Thank you. Because it's placed in the center of culture 
within, without a preachy attitude of this is so important or you're going to die or you're a bad person <laughs> or like, this is just the way the world is. This is the way it's going to be. If you don't understand it, this is a chance for you to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. You're completely inclusive. Well, we're really driven by positivity and by optimism without ever masking the fact that, like, shit can get real awkward. Mm. And there are problems. There are mm. obviously huge challenges in Absolutely. the world. And that's where I think a perspective of living, we call it leading from the margins. You know, mm. if you've been able to grapple with that nice. in your personal life, right. then here's an opportunity to bring that into the forefront and both educate, invite, and work mm-hmm. on change. Mm-hmm. You know, we I, I like think we that. see our overall mission as building empathy. Well, I like your phrase educating for the margins because I'm in an unusual position where I'm actually in the center of it. Yes. I realize that I have a responsibility to make an even larger difference wherever I can. Mm-hmm. And uh, as the non-marginalized person, and um, I've been really enjoying it. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a little, so glad. Uh, a little like, wow, now. I got this whole wheelhouse of power over like, here. Where, what do I do with this? And and the timing is so good because everyone, it's an uncomfortable topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are a white male, you're like, I don't know how to relate to this. I, I totally, I'm for it, but I'm not it. And because uh, most of my friends are top leaders are white males, mm-hmm. I can work with them in a different kind of way. Happy birthday, Mashup. I love what you guys do. I'm a white lady uh, with Swedish, Swiss, Welsh, and German background, married to a African-American guy from Virginia. What I love about the Mashup podcast is how authentic your conversations are. And they're conversations about race that you really don't hear about anywhere else. I love how personal they get, and everybody has a truly unique story to tell. I am psyched that you are celebrating your first year, and I can't wait to see what you guys do next. So happy birthday. So let's talk about design. Yep. Because I think in design circles, innovation circles, business um, technology design is heralded as as this whole universe. This yeah. is the you know this is the stage on which we live our lives. It affects everything. It's this mm-hmm. tremendous force for all the change that's going to happen in the world. But I think to lay people, design is like a great piece of furniture, mm-hmm. or design is a beautiful home, or maybe a fashion. Yep. So, what is design? You know, well, and how does that affect like our everyday experiences? Yeah. Well. I'm glad you brought up the couch because we all love that couch but may not be able to afford that couch. That's mm-hmm. a really good-looking couch. It's mm-hmm. been designed so well. That's what design's become. What I think it can be or should be in the technology era is design's about inclusion. And inclusion is about knowing what your customer or community base cares about, feels about, mm-hmm. dreams about. So, And you can't be able to design for them unless you think inclusively. Do you know them? Do you hang out with them? Do you eat with them? So in the context of automatic, what's been great is that I'm the person that can ask all these questions of design in the context of, do we know who uses that? Right. Where do they live and how do they eat and what do they eat and what do they want to do? What are their dreams? And people say, well, that's not design. And I said, well, you can't make something for someone if you don't know what they want you to make. Right. 
So then people say, oh, you mean inclusion isn't just an HR topic? And I say, yes. Right. We're <laughs> it, getting there. You mean it's such as a social justice topic? I say, yes. It's pragmatic. It's how we'll do business with more people mm-hmm. by being more inclusive. That's why people who listen to Mashup are having the opportunity to serve their customers better because their customers are not the same anymore. Do you think that your design thinking has changed since your accident? That's why I added the word inclusion in my title. (laughs) It's transformed everything. I can see the world more clearly Mm -hmm. as really excluding a lot of people, not out of malice, but out of unconscious bias. Mm -hmm. If you take action, things change. For instance, just yesterday I was invited to uh, speak with a CEO on stage in a big, big event, you know. And so, okay, I'll do that. And then I got an email saying that, oh, we've changed it. We've added this other person on stage. And it was a man. Mm-hmm. I thought, wait a second. I didn't sign up for that. I didn't sign up to be three men on a stage. Right. I wrote back and said, I'm not going to be able to do that because they're, half the world is women. So there's such qualified people. Why isn't there someone you could choose who was a woman? And then I wait for, and then I wait for the response. <laughs> Does that make you feel nervous? Are you no. ever like they're going to? Uh, no, well, that's the thing about being in the center, right? You don't have to be concerned about them pushing you to the side well, for making a statement like that. Uh, well, you know, on the one hand, it's like, oh, my gosh, I'll lose this opportunity to talk with the CEO on stage. And other, on the other hand, I'm like, you know, I didn't really want to do that if that was the whole idea. Right. Right. That's very empowering. And I can have a blog and write whatever I want to write. I mean, the reason why I actually it's funny. The, the reason why I went to a company that works on the WordPress ecosystem is because in 2004, I was somewhere at the Media Lab, and a Wired writer started talking with me. Mm-hmm. And then started talking to me, and like, like two weeks later, I was quoted in Wired as saying things that I hadn't said. So I was really ticked off. I was like, I didn't say any of that. So I created a WordPress blog, and I blogged what I want to say mm-hmm. in my words. If someone won't let you talk, you can talk on your own, like you're doing. Right. How do you sustain your hope? I think this is something that, you know, and at Mashup, again, we're fueled by hope. We're fueled by optimism while still trying to be honest about all the challenges. You know, we celebrate the cacophony Mm -hmm. of all these different voices, different perspectives, Mm -hmm. and very sometimes very entrenched perspectives and wanting to learn about them and, you know, having a dialogue. Um, But then at a time like now, politically, socially, there's so much unrest and a lot of what just feels like hatred bubbling Mm. up. How do you stay hopeful? You know, I wasn't sure why I tend to be more optimistic. I thought maybe it's because I was at MIT for a long time. You know, education is a very optimistic field. Mm -hmm. You help people grow in advance. Um, I thought it was because I love art and the creativity in it. Um, But then I realized by working in venture capital in Silicon Valley, that's where I discovered where my optimism comes from. Huh. I believe in entrepreneurs. And, you know, the data shows that immigrants are more successful at startups. And people are always like, well, why? It's because people who have nothing strive to have more. And they can't have any more unless they have optimism that it might come. Mm-hmm. My parents had low education, believed their kids could go to college someday, gave us that dream. They didn't know what college was. 
they didn't know that life gets better after college. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, they're like, oh my gosh, college is going to be so awesome. It's going to be so great. You're going to have an easy life, John. You know, don't have to make tofu anymore. And I'm like, well, I don't think things are good with college. You know, Wait, and we didn't even talk about the fact that your father ran a tofu um, factory. Ran a tofu factory. Yeah, yeah. And so when I think about startups, what I've learned from startups is, you know, when you hang out with pessimistic people, it's, it's just they, they love hanging out together. So I like how saying how pessimism loves company, but optimism makes companies. Mm. So you're an entrepreneur. That's you have to have hope. Yeah. Otherwise, you should stop. Right. <laughs> but the hope is what fuels you. Right. And because you're different and across differences, you naturally believe that maybe something can happen that hasn't happened yet. And in that mirage illusion, entrepreneurs succeed. And that true belief in the potential. And people come to you who want to give you money to oh, do things. God willing. <laughs> My name is Emily Chen. And as Padma Lakshmi said at the end of her interview, I'm glad you guys exist. I'm a Korean, Hong Kong Chinese American. And your show has served as such an inspiration and a comfort for me. At times, I feel as though I've failed parts of me since I speak neither Korean nor Cantonese, but instead speak fluent Spanish, a language useless to my family. Listening to your show and reading about you both has quelled my guilt and made me realize that I am definitely not alone. Do you remember the first time, and I, I have read a bit of your writing about Sulu and Star Trek. Yes, yes. And about how, ironically, you would think as an Asian American kid that having Sulu on TV, you would identify with him. Yeah. But your expectation because of what media was presenting was that Asians on TV could only have be deeply have deeply accented speech or yeah. were some sort of caricatures. So, yeah. Strangely, you didn't identify with him. Do you remember yeah. the first time you did feel reflected in pop culture, in the movies, in media? Oh, wow. I think I, well, I mean, the, the, the Sulu thing was I was speaking at the 50th, 50th anniversary of Star Trek. So it was like awesome honor. Mm -hmm. But it really wasn't until I spoke about Sulu that I realized that I thought, I realized there was cognitive dissonance every time he spoke because he spoke regular English, normal American English. English. American English. Thank mm -hmm. you. And I was like, whoa, he's not speaking with some kind of accent. That's weird. As a kid, it's, it's sad in a way right. that you think that's like weird. Mm -hmm. I think for all my life, I would look at TV or movies and there wouldn't be a role model per se. I loved when John Cho emerged. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, who doesn't love John Cho? I mean, come on. <laughs> uh, I was like, whoa. So handsome. <laughs> <laughs> so I loved when that started to happen, but it's so rare. Mm-hmm. And then what makes me sad is that so many people will jump into this sort of motion, like, look, we're so rare, we're so rare. Then it becomes a social justice thing. Mm -hmm. So the more we talk about the business opportunity, the more change will happen, I believe. Right. I mean, and that's something that, we, you know, we had Alan Yang, the co-creator of yeah. Master of None with Aziz Ansari on our show. Yeah. And he was saying, you know, it's interesting that people kind of heralded Master of None as being revolutionary television. Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, you know, Aziz and I just made a show that reflected our lives. Yep. And that that became immensely popular and successful. Well, you know, it'd be great 
if the people in charge don't think of that as an ethnic show because oh that ethnic show is doing really well <laughs> right. let's 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 run some more ethnic shows right I like how mashup your concept is the world is actually becoming more this than, than ethnic that. you know like yeah. you know so I, I like that that thesis thank you we worked hard on it you know I think what we see is that the germ of the idea came at a pain point right mm-hmm. it was like all kind of we were trying to solve solve what we felt was an absence of media and resources that spoke our language. Mm-hmm. And we just had so many questions about how were we going to shape our lives. Mm-hmm. And in trying to look for answers, we couldn't find any. Yeah. And we realized that literally all of our friends, our entire cohort, everybody that we went, they were they were all in mixed race or interfaith marriages or they were um, you know traveling abroad and having different kinds of experience and bringing them home you know whatever it was we were always crossing borders mm. and like you said we couldn't find anybody that would speak to us as, th- as if this was r- real and not an anomaly mm. that we weren't just going to live in a vertical mm. or the ethnic vertical yes the ghettoized <laughs> over there that's great for you Latino people uh-huh. and then this is what regular people will do over here right so it's really profound to find other thinkers and people that really are celebrating this and making this change happen in other in other contexts and other places. Mm. Well, I haven't made much change yet in this way. I think you will. But I, I'm high centered on this now. Yes, a pretty good track record of doing things. I say we'll see. <laughs> Feeling my way through the darkness, guided by a beaten heart. I can't tell where the journey will end. But I know where to start. So we actually have our intern here with us, Anna Olkers, who is um, a student at NYU. She's also Sansei Japanese, and she has a question for you. Yeah, I'm a sophomore in college, and I'm interested in media, storytelling, and design. I'm half Japanese and trying to learn more about my culture, but sometimes I feel a little bit on the outside and a little lost. Uh, what advice would you give a mashup like me who's just starting out? This feeling of discomfort, if you can live with it your entire life, you'll be unusually successful because you're comfortable not fitting in and therefore you have to survive somehow. Mm. For those who can just go autopilot, they don't have to work that hard. It's why I actually have changed fields a lot because once I know how to do something, I lose interest or I, yeah. because I get good at it and I won't grow. Mm-hmm. So I would say... It's good you don't fit in. Other advice I would give is advice given to me by a sculptor, a Japanese sculptor. He told me that in life, we're all building mountains. Um, and so he, he uses this analogy with his hands of like, you know, when you're, when you're like, you know, adding things with your finger, like little click, 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 click. We're getting these skills and the skills are kind of like, you know, coming off the ground and it forms a little heap. It forms a mound. And he has two ways to do that. Mm-hmm. One way is to be good at one thing. If you go to one thing, you don't have a mound. You have like a, a stack of things that goes up into the sky. Skyscraper. But if you are going broad, you're going really broad. You build this like hill. And the hill, the hill gets the hill gets you know moundery and moundier. Um, doesn't go high into the sky. So the problem with being good at one thing is you get good at one thing, skyscraper, skyscraper, and then if one thing is wrong along the way, the whole skyscraper topples over. Mm-hmm. But a person who is broad stays very solid and strong all their life. So I've, I've, I've taken that approach, yeah. the mound approach. The, 
I think we can work on our branding. I know. <laughs> I gotta get hire someone for that one. One day while the light is glowing, I'll be in my castle golden. But until the gates are open, I just want to feel this moment. Hi, Rebecca and Amy. My name is Katie, and I live in Oakland, California. I am a transracial international adoptee. So I was born in Colombia and adopted by a Caucasian couple here in the United States. My father came over from the Netherlands in the late 60s, and my wife is also a transracial adoptee, and she identifies as a biracial black woman. I love the podcast because you guys bring on great guests and you talk about awesome topics. And I love hearing from my people and other people of color. And I love the podcast and I wish it was on every week. Thanks. Would you say that there is one way that you identify yourself? Is it as an artist? Is it a technologist? Is it mentor? Is it? Yeah, I'm, I'm smiling because I realized that one thing that I got for free over time, an identity that I didn't know I would get, is I'm an older person now. And it's funny because um, inside Automatic, uh, we've just started an older person's group. <laughs> People who are over 40, basically. Because in tech, in tech, I had a few years, not so, that so, many. But in, <laughs> generally in tech, it indexes young, younger. So I just started like this older group, and it's just amazing what's been happening. Like um, all this energy is coming out. It is a new, it's a new diversity I've discovered. Uh-huh. And it's fun seeing people who are 30, 35 who say, oh, I wish I could get into that group. I'm too young yet. Someday I'll make it. So I've been working on making older cooler. That's amazing. How old are you? I'm 50. Oh, this is a marquee year. Does it feel like a big year? Oh, it feels like a a year I have to get more stuff done. What is the most important thing on your list? Is it at Automatic? Most important thing at Automatic is to really make this idea of publishing that the founder, Matt Mullenweg, has accessible to everyone. Mm -hmm. And for me, that means getting closer to inclusion, understanding more kinds of people that we have in touch through WordPress. That's my goal. We read on WordPress. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) So we're celebrating our three-year anniversary of our idea. Thank you. Our two-year anniversary of our website and the Mm. one-year anniversary of our podcast. Wow. Yes. So I want to just, in conclusion, ask you, what is your vision for Mashup America? My vision for Mashup America is that it's just remove the word mashup, it's just America. Mm. And it's how we talk about things. Not that ethnic show. Right. <laughs> or, that, that, or that show with like all these mixes or whatever. Um, the simple example I can think of is in Japan, there was this um, movement that changed my thinking about hybrid people. It was all about how uh, if you're half Japanese and half non-Japanese, you were called hafu, mm-hmm. half. If there's a word hapa, means half. And there was a movement by mothers to not call them half, but double, double, because they have twice the culture. Mm. So I love that mashup doesn't mean mashup. It means a multitude, uh, 100x effectiveness. That's where I hope it, it feels. And I hope after a long and fruitful time with mashup that we work ourselves into irrelevance, as you say. That we just become an America that loves each other and sees each other as human and can work together to make it better. Thank you so much, John. This was really, it was such a treat to have you here. Wow. 
I'm so happy to be here. I'm so Relax. happy. Should we do one final fist bump? Fist bump. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, what a delight! That was John Maida, Global Head of Design and Inclusion for Automatic. You can follow him on all the socials where he is very smart and very prolific at John Maida, J-O-H-N-M-A-E-D-A. I like how you said that. Yeah, and we just want to say thank you again to all of you, to all of our supporters, our amazing guests, and even more amazing listeners. Truly, guys, without you, there would be no us, and we are so grateful. Uh, the most grateful. The us is the Mashup Americans, which are me, Rebecca Lehrer. And me, Amy Choi. The Mashup Americans are also our squad, Anna Elkers, Cherie Roach, Mary Phillips Sandy, our engineers, John Fredenberg, Brad Fisher, Brian Allison, Madeline Brumbeck, our producer, Jocelyn Gonzalez, our partners, American Public Media and Southern California Public Radio, KPCC, and of course, the National Endowment for the Arts. Let me just add, our Mashup American of the Hour of the Year is the incredible, invincible Colin Campbell. Colin Campbell, a Kiwi-Irish-American mashup, our very first producer, and the dude that truly had the vision for this show and its potential. We love you, Colin. We love you. Thank you, Colin. (laughs) So we'll see you guys next time. But for now, we'll see you on the net at (laughs) mashupamericans.com. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 